What is the experience of being on purpose? It's being fully alive, fully aligned, accepting of yourself, feeling that you are part of this bigger picture. Like if we're doing what we need to do for our own healing and evolution, that will naturally be of service. Hello, and welcome to the Quality of Being podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Ferris. My intention with this show is to highlight people's experience and process of how they create a life that is fulfilling and purposeful, rather than only on what they do or what they're known for. Our culture is so focused on external measures of success like wealth, status, fame, or power, but I'm more interested in creating meaning and purpose from within. So then, what does that actually look like and feel like? How are our outward actions different when we're coming from that place rather than solely chasing an external goal? Sorry it's been so long between shows. I recorded this way back in January, but have been on a bit of an adventure for a few months, so it took me a while to get back to it. My guest today is Wendy May, a purpose guide, an author, speaker, teacher, socially responsible entrepreneur, and self-described former corporate climber and recovering achievement addict. Wendy recently came out with a book titled Regenerative Purpose. I discovered her book in a copy shop on Kopangan, Thailand, and felt drawn to read it. And once I opened it, I really couldn't put it down. Then I serendipitously ran into Wendy and told her how I found the book and about the podcast, and she agreed to an interview. Definitely go check her book out. I really loved it and found it extremely enlightening, as you'll hear more about in our conversation. Wendy is a master at translating her experience into insightful and applicable tools for connecting with what is important in life, and although she has so much experience and wisdom, she continues to approach life with humility as she evolves and grows, which I think makes what she has to say even more significant for us to learn from. We ended up recording this outside where there was some stuff going on in the background, so forgive the noise. I also want to mention this is my fourth interview and I'm learning a ton each time I do this. Part of my intention with this podcast is to show people in process, including myself, so I hope the message comes through clearly despite being new to this. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. And I saw your book kind of out of the corner of my eye, and I was like, hmm, what's that? Also because I'm into regenerative agriculture and earth healing and stuff like that, so the title really caught my eye yeah. in that way. And then like the next time I was in there, I was like, let me look at this. Hmm. And... Uh, I was like, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for creating that. And I, I definitely felt like I need to listen to this calling that is drawing me to your book. Yeah, that's really cool how we met then in Jelly Devi as well. And then yeah. we were like, are you Wendy? It's <laughs> the first time that's ever happened to me, so that was cool. Great. Well, I hope that it continues to happen because it was definitely, um, yeah, the, the book spoke a lot to me. Um, I mean, I feel like you came up with some like amazing quotes that around mm. purpose and uh, yeah, when you're resting in awareness and intentionally choosing the people, the projects, the environment that make you light up from within, you simply will not be able to help it. You will be in service. That is what it means to be on purpose. Mm. I, I like the idea of um, that when you're aligned with yourself, that you're being of service because I think a lot of times in this purpose discussion, people are like, how do I do the thing that I want to do and make money? And then is it really being of service? So like yeah. just seeing that when you're aligned, that that in of itself is being 
purposeful. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really this balance of um, inner work and outer work, right? So I think that we tend to be a little bit over-emphasizing um, the outer work, which is the success and achievements that you can see and touch and feel. And the inner work part is it's, it's not egoic, right? It's really about your experience of life and um, how you're resonating and how you're responding. And so it's, you know, it's not a complete uh, denial of our earthbound reality and our body-based kind of experience, but it's also this engagement, this conversation, right? This kind of give and take and um, call and response. That makes me think of um, just another thing that you talked about in the book, which was um, like have a vision, have goals, but then let it go. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could talk more about that around, okay, so you have your vision, but how do you like, how do you use that along the way to kind of steer yourself? Yeah, it's a tough balance. I mean, I can use myself as an example, just in the process of writing the book, I was kind of living a lot of the teachings that were being transmitted in this uh, offering, which is this balance of being intentional, but also in surrender, right? So it's the masculine and the feminine both together, right? So in terms of making a commitment, my commitment to the book was, I'm going to hold space for this creation. And in my mind, it was a year commitment. When I decided I was going to go on this journey of writing a book, I said, okay, my job as the masculine principle to hold space is to keep the boundaries and to protect uh, the time and the energy for the creation to come through. And so that part was very intentional and it required a lot of discipline and commitment to say, I'm not going to take on any coaching clients in this time. I'm not going to plan any retreats in this time. I'm not going to, you know, engage in a lot of, um, you know, intimate personal relationships in this time. I'm basically really focusing on this is my first and only priority is the book. And at the same time, I had to be super relaxed and in surrender about the pace and the rhythm of how that was coming through me, right? There were weeks that went by, sometimes a month would go by where I didn't write a single word and I had to just be okay with that and say, okay, this book is its own entity and it will come through in its own time, right? It has its own timeline and it's not my ego pushing it to happen faster because I think it should be done by this date um, or it needs to happen in this way, but really being receptive to guidance um, and allowing that, right? Um, which is a different frame of mind, right? This, it's not me making this happen. It's me allowing this to happen through me, which means really giving up this control thing of like, yeah, I am intentional and committed to holding space for this thing. And it has its own life force that's going to move through me in its own time and in its own way. Was there a, a moment that you really got that teaching in this process where you were like wanting to mold the clay, but yeah. you had to... I mean, so many times, you know, like conventionally, right, we work with, you know, I spent a lot of years in corporate where, you know, you have a schedule and you have a strategic plan and you have deadlines and milestones and deliverables and it's very logical, linear, um, goal-driven approach. And so I was kind of raised in that environment. And so this is kind of mm -hmm. something that I've had to unlearn in the process of creating this book, which is um, this like, yeah, you can set a deadline, but then you also have to be willing to let it go, right? When it 
things are not happening the way that your ego would like them to happen. And I mean, so many times I can't even count. Um, one that comes to mind, actually, I think I may have shared in the book is I had this idea that I wanted to deliver a first draft of the book to my editors before going on this trip to Costa Rica. And just the week before I was going to fly, my laptop broke, or I thought that my laptop broke. And it was literally, it felt like the universe saying to me, just a reminder, you're not in control of this thing. And it was like humbling to be like, okay, actually, I, it's not up to me when the first draft is finished. But I mean, things like that happened many times. I mean, that was probably the strongest example because it was very memorable. But there were many times when I sort of had an idea of something that should have com been completed at a certain time. Um, and it just didn't happen. And I had to say, okay, well, there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. um, that the illustrations aren't getting done as quickly as I would like, or the editing is taking longer than I, I anticipated, or actually there's a whole new chapter that I need to add to the book now that I didn't realize was part of it before, right? All these different things that were happening. Um, and even when I was doing the fundraising for the book, the, the focus then became community engagement and receiving energy from people supporting and in a way voting for the existence of the book through their financial and energetic contributions to my Kickstarter campaign and realizing that in that period of time, um, it was really impossible for me to write or to edit. You know, I was in a very different um, stream, which was still supporting the book, but in a way I had to kind of let go of the writing part to then support it in a different way. Mm. You know, but that it was still happening through me, but just not in the way that I imagined it would or should. That's interesting to, really helpful to, to pay attention to when you're going through those moments of like, yeah, I'm trying to achieve this thing, but it needs to be focused on many different levels. I think uh, one, one thing I learned from this coaching uh, school of thought that I've been a part of is that going from visionary reality, like in your imagination, to actual reality, like, you think, oh, I'm just going to do this thing and then it will happen in this linear way. But as you are physically making it manifest, um, it takes all kinds of twists and turns. But that actually that's the shortest distance between the vision and the reality. It's, you know, it's, it's easy to get confused or hung up on um, thinking that your, your imagination of what's going to happen is how it's supposed to be. But actually how it happens is how it's supposed to be. So I think that's really cool. You said you didn't grow up learning this way, but where did it come from? Was there a book or a person or experience that was like... Yeah, I mean, honestly, no. There's not one single um, source of inspiration. I mean, I can see how the ideas that are embedded in the book came to me or came through me in different ways from different sources. And in a way, I would say that there's really nothing new in the book. Like I might be packaging it in a certain way or putting words around it or putting some structure around it, but actually all of the concepts um, that I'm referring to are accessible in different ways and dif from different teachers and different writers. Um, you know, I'm just kind of looking at it through the lens of purpose, but actually a lot of what I'm talking about is, is ancient wisdom. You know, it's, it's not uh, a new invention that I came up with. Um, I'm just maybe putting a particular spin on it. And in, and in terms of how this specific message came to me, I think that it was organic. Uh, in terms of my own lived experience, I was offering retreats to women in transition and 
people who are in a similar um, storyline as, as me, having been in a corporate job, being in a very masculine uh, environment, and feeling a bit empty or numb or misaligned in some way, and feeling the need to get out of that context to find the truth of who they are or what they want to have um, move through them or what kind of work they want to be doing in the world. And so I was doing these retreats, uh, which I was calling life reboot retreats, which were really just about making this transition of like shedding an old identity, stepping into this void of nothingness and of I don't know who I am or what I do, and then I guess embracing that process in order to create an uh, empty space for something new to emerge, right? Which is a, it's, it's a cycle of nature, basically. We're talking about death and rebirth, right? So I was helping people kind of cross that chasm. And I think just by observing myself in my own process of doing that, as well as kind of reaching a hand behind to help other people through that process, I started to notice patterns. And um, this Ikigai model that I talk about in the book, um, which is been really popularized um, on the internet, these four circles, was something that influenced me greatly in terms of thinking about the different dimensions of purpose. Like when somebody is on purpose or having an experience of being purposeful, what are the different elements that are there? And it kind of morphed, right? So originally I was using that as a teaching tool, looking at, you know, what is it that you love to do and what is it that you're good at and all of these different things. But then I started to see this from a more expanded view and from a more dynamic view of how, yeah, all of these elements are at play, but they're not quite as static as this Venn diagram model would suggest. They're not as static or categorical, that there's actually an interplay of them, and there's also a broader view on each of these ingredients, if you will, right? And so I talk about this in the book, about how, you know, it's not just um, what you're good at, right? I talk about gift as being genius in fluid truth, which is actually, it includes what you're good at, but it's beyond that. It's bigger than that. And yeah, what you, what you love to do is part of it, but that's not the full story either. And I talk about it as like, really what we're talking about is what we do from love, right? And so what you love to do, I, I treat it as like an interim step because we've been so conditioned to kind of sacrifice and suffer uh, for the sake of an achievement that what you love to do is a way of breaking out of this uh, box. But then ultimately, what you love to do is not it's not the end point, right? It's actually just a waypoint, kind of a layover on the way to what you do from love, which is not this kind of um, self-sacrificing um, martyrdom, but it, it is actually this commitment, right? This like devotion of there's something that's more important than me and my, you know, pleasure that actually gives me deeper joy to connect with and to serve. That's powerful. It's, and seems so contrary to like, not, not necessarily how I was raised, but just the culture that I'm a part of, that a lot of us are a part of. To, Me too. To be able to, <laughs> Me too. wow, to really shift your, yourself in a different way. Just want to back up real quick. One of the reasons why I was so drawn, once I opened your book, that I was so hooked by it, was that I had been asking myself pretty much all my 20s, I was like, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? Really wanting to find the thing that I can do to contribute, to feel like I can bring my gift and feel like purposeful on many levels, you know, like I'm doing something, like I'm learning something, like I'm giving of service. And then um, not that long ago, I was like, this isn't helping me. It's only putting more pressure on me. So can I like blow that up and just look at the, the components, you know, 
of what's interesting, like what you said, you know, what, do, what am I drawn to? What do I love? And then kind of go from there. It really spoke to me in, a, in, a, in that way because you really laid it out in a very clear, very thoughtful way that explored every different facet that I've kind of gone through. So I was like really appreciative of that. But another thing I wanted to ask you is, have you, um, in this process or in any point in your life, have you experienced a culture or people who really embody maybe not just what you're talking about, but like a different way of being where they see the world differently? Have you experienced that at all? I mean, sure. I, I sort of, um, I'm now kind of location independent and have chosen to base myself here in Copangan for a reason because I feel that you know, there is still a lot of old paradigm mentality, even in so-called spiritual community and, and conscious community that still persists, because um, I think we're all evolving everywhere at the same time. It's not just because you live on a hippie island that you're somehow more advanced, but uh, I would say that there's more awareness and more connection with this way of being um, uh, in this kind of community. So I find that really supportive and nourishing for me to be on a daily basis in contact with people that are actively uh, trying to live their lives in this way, right? And it really is a way of, it's a way of being and a way of living, right? Like when you say this, this idea about like, I was always looking for my purpose, right? That's still this external object seeking, right? Which we're never going to be satisfied with that. You will never get there. Um, and it's a, it's a mistake, I think, because ultimately what we're looking for is what is the experience of being on purpose, right? It's being fully alive fully aligned, accepting of yourself, feeling that you are part of this bigger picture. Um, and yeah, that is satisfying on a deep soul level, right? It's not this idea that I can acquire purpose and then somehow name it, label it, categorize it, print it on a business card, wear it as a badge of honor, and then just becomes another, um, you know, like I say, same salad, different dressing. It's like, okay, so it used to be money and power and status that we were seeking after, and now it's like the new age version of that is like, oh, like, do you have a purpose? You know, and then that becomes an egoic achievement to be like, oh, yeah, I have my purpose, so therefore I've made it. Mm -hmm. Like, no, actually, you can say that and on an external level say that you have your purpose figured out, but actually not be in alignment at all if you're really attached to an old form of purpose that isn't really true for you right now, isn't true for what the world needs from you right now. Yeah, that really um, touches me in a place where I can see kind of the, the conflict with that language. Because on one hand, I'm, what I'm hearing is it doesn't really matter what you do if you feel those qualities, if you're having, if you're having that experience in your, in your body. And yet, then this old paradigm is like still wanting this attachment and wanting to feel recognized. I think that's a lot of what I'm driven by is like wanting to feel like I'm showing up in a way so that people see that I'm good. Yeah, you know? we all have that. We all have that for sure. We all want to be recognized. But, but then I'm also thinking like, well, a lot of the people that I've met are who feel, who've, who've kind of reflected to me the, the most align with themselves aren't really about the thing that they're doing they're just like living and maybe there's some components of community and spirituality that they have you know all assembled but um it's really just about kind of like living in from that place yeah 
I mean, I think there's, I wouldn't say it, it, would, it doesn't matter at all what you do, because I think there's some danger of sort of spiritual bypass there. Sure. It does matter what we do, it matters a lot. But I would say that um, it's this, you know, I always come back to this image of the Mobius Strip. It's like if we're doing what we need to do for our own healing and evolution, that will naturally be of service, right? Because there's, you know, if we, to look at it from a more esoteric or spiritual perspective, if you believe in this concept of like oneness and unity, it's like when we're doing our own work, we're also doing work for the collective, right? And it is this kind of dance of the individual and the collective, right? Not to like kind of deny our own, you know, very real physical financial needs that we need to get paid and be supported in what we do. Um, and also give generously, you know, from the heart and be aligned from that place. So it's, uh, yeah, everything is always about a balance. Um, so yeah, and it's it's okay to want to be recognized as well and to recognize that, that need um, because we need to be nourished on all levels to continue to serve, right? It doesn't help anyone if we just uh, give from an empty place of... Uh, of deficit, right? And then we deplete ourselves and then we get into burnout, right? So that's not sustainable. Um, that's why it needs to be a cycle, right? The energy that goes out also needs to come back. And this is actually a way of checking if you're in alignment or not, which is um, asking to receive, right? And asking for feedback from the universe around, am I on the right path? Am I doing the right things with my time and energy? Um, and you'll get that feedback, you know? So. Um, you know, meeting you is a feedback for me, actually, that there's more for me to do with uh, sharing the message that's in this book, right? And I was really, after the publication of the book, in a deep question about that of, is my job here done? And is it time for me to now move on to the next thing? Like, and, you know, there are many synchronicities that has, have happened in the last couple of weeks, meeting you being one of them, which have guided me to the answer of, no, you're not done with this book yet, or this book is not done with you yet, mm. is a better way of maybe saying it, is that, yeah, there's more here. So it's being receptive to those signals, um, but in a way where it's not me pushing, you know, like it doesn't push, it doesn't feel like me pushing in to promote the book, but the book wanting me to give more energy to it so that the message can spread. Yeah, so it's a different feeling, it's a different quality. Yeah, I like how you lined out a few different criteria to, just to remind yourself of, um, oh yeah, am I living in this way? If no, how do I, you know, correct that? I do have certain practices for myself to kind of stay centered, and I have other different challenges, right? Mm -hmm. Different things that I, I need to check myself to make sure that I'm in alignment. Um, yeah, I mean, I do this mandala meditation almost every day. I did it just before I came to meet you, which is a way for me to intentionally get into this flow state, right? It's something that I choose to do, that I have a commitment to in a way. I don't do it every single day, but I do it almost every day. And for me, it's a practice of creating without planning what I'm gonna do, and also being in acceptance of anything that is unplanned, not seeing it as a mistake, but seeing it as something that actually um, can be integrated in a beautiful way, and that the end result is still beautiful even though I have no idea what's going to happen when I start out, right? Mm -hmm. So this for me is a beautiful metaphor for life. Sure. Um, that helps me to stay in this alignment, I would say. Um, and in terms of checking myself, I mean like we all have different patterns that we kind of struggle with and you know you mentioned one that's I think pretty common about this wanting recognition and feeling value and I have that also but um, 
I also have uh, an Enneagram language. This is another thing that I teach. Um, I have a really strong two pattern, which is about this kind of helper, giver, over, um, overly generous kind of thing. So I know that there's certain things that I need to check um, to make sure that I'm not leaning too far forward with like my love and my offering and, and giving to people that I need to kind of lean back sometimes and uh, take care of my own self first, mm -hmm. kind of the whole put your own oxygen mask on first and take care of my own needs. So I think for everyone, um, those checkpoints are going to be different depending on what are like kind of your dominant patterns, right? Your ego mm -hmm. patterns. So yeah, for me, that one is a big one, making sure that I'm nourishing myself and, and doing my self-care and not depleting myself with being too much in this helper mode and wanting to say yes to everyone who wants something from me. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that's, that's important. I recently actually created a list of different categories like community, spirituality, nature, body, expression, mm -hmm. um, just as a way to track, like if I, if I start going into anxiety mode or not to make sure that I'm doing those things, but really to just say, to look back if something goes wrong, to say, oh yeah, I haven't done nature in a while. Let me go, let me go out and get some nature time. Let me call a friend, yeah. go for a hike or something like yeah, that. It's good to take inventory and to have practices um, that nourish you on all different levels, right? Body levels. So for me, touch, um, giving and receiving massage, uh, dance, mm. right, is a huge one for me. And then, you know, also having practices that feed the heart and also the mind, right? The healthy mind, true mind. One of the things that you wrote in your book is purpose is practice. Yeah. And after I thought about that, I wondered if you resonated with practice makes purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that I would agree with that. Um, for sure. It is a practice. It's not something that you... I mean, the way that I look at it, of course, like this is the main theme, right, in the book, is that it's not something that you achieve once and you're done. Mm -hmm. It's something that you need to be attuned to and aware of and receptive to and responding all the time and checking yourself, right? Because you're alive and changing and evolving just like the world is alive and changing and evolving. And so this kind of contract between you as the individual and what the collective um, needs from you uh, is always going to be changing, right? So the dynamic nature of it means that uh, we can't just like get there and just be like, okay, we're done. <laughs> All right, cool. Cool, I'm <laughs> I, done. Yeah. I, I beat the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a, yeah, it is a practice in that sense that you, you will fall away from it, right? And like you will be out of alignment from it. That's also part of the cycle and not to fight that either and to know that there are going to be these wintertime periods where it feels like nothing much is happening, but you're actually incubating you know, the next thing, the next project, the next creation. Um, and being okay with that, you know, the cycle of it. Mm -hmm. How do you um, recognize when you are going through those periods and um, do you have any ways of like allowing it or knowing when you, when you need to kind of kickstart yourself to get back into the, the zone? Yeah, this is super hard, huh? Because like we were talking about the conditioning from kind of the default world is super strong of this like, you know, I went to like these top tier universities and worked at all these blue chip companies with a bunch of super high achievers and it was like go 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 and competitive and driven all the time and just the working world in general is very masculine in this way and it's like always on right you get two weeks of vacation a year like that's it you know and so 
Um, it's hard. I, I don't think there's an easy answer for that. It's just um, noticing when there's that tension of, oh, actually, like, my body is tired and, um, you know, my heart is a bit broken or my mind is cluttered and knowing that that is a signal to rest, you know, knowing that that is a signal to go to nature or spend the day alone in meditation or just come back to myself a little bit and collect my energy back um, to my core. And, yeah, there's no easy answer to that because we are so conditioned to go, 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 push, push, push. And then, you know, the more and more you recognize that that doesn't really work <laughs> the way that you want it to, you, you kind of remember that the next time. And you're like, yeah, the last time I tried to push didn't work so well for me. So maybe I'm not going to do that this time and I'm going to try a different strategy. Um, as to when to start moving again, this is really this being receptive to signals, right? Like I feel like in the last two months since the book was published, I have been in this winter period of not doing much and have been in reset mode on many levels, right? Energetic, emotional, physical, spiritual level, really going into this, this void space, the nothingness of just getting comfortable with people asking me, so what are you doing now? And saying completely unapologetically, I don't know. 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 And then being receptive when the energy does come again, like in the last two weeks, I've been getting messages about the book, I've been having meetings like the one with you, and being receptive to this information that is coming to me without me efforting or me striving, receiving these signals that are like, hey, it's time to move again. It's time to put some focus here. It's time to put some energy here again. And just listening. It's active listening. It's like, okay, I hear you, universe. It's time to get off my ass and, you know, maybe start sharing a little bit more about this book mm -hmm. yeah i like the way that you said that it's a good way to to pay attention or to to know when to act and when to rest um it's always a challenge i mean um i think uh for me personally i immediately go into i was so energized for the last month like why am i not in that mode anymore i don't like that i've changed i'm not feeling good this is wrong and then I'm getting better at it, but just to identify like, oh yeah, this is a natural cycle. It's okay to not feel super positive about life all the time yeah. or to want to rest or whatever. And to just be like, okay, I guess I'm in that mode. Let's honor that. Yeah. I mean, there's no light without darkness. There's no expansion without contraction. Um, and so this is, I mean, the balance that we're missing, right? Like we tend to glorify these periods of like outward activity and achievement and doing and creating and we forget that equally we need these times of shedding and composting and integrating and and dying and letting go of things um, to be able to move from a, a true place and not an attachment to this like this is who I am and this is what I do but really moving from uh, presence right moving from truth that we have to also die, right? Like, and, you know, this is something also I think that we see in the world, like, that is out of balance, that we have this um, addiction to growth. We have this addiction to constantly getting bigger, having more, expansion, 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 but, like, you can't have expansion without contraction. Like, you can't have only inhale without the exhale. You die. Right? So this right. is on a collective level what we see happening on a planetary scale is that we've been in this like grow, 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 more, 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 more. And actually what we're 
going to experience is a massive contraction from that because we haven't been in balance with um, allowing things to die, right? We're so attached to these forms that we've created that we're like actually killing ourselves. It's good to know that stuff though. It's good to be aware of cycles even if they're terrifying and you know we have some preparing to do, right? I heard somebody speak not that long ago about Somebody was asking him about, you know, all these storms and fires and large weather events that are terrifying and they're scary. How do we deal with this? And his response was, you shouldn't be afraid of nature. And I was like, oh, okay, that's good. This is nature. This is natural. I'm a part of this. Even though, yeah, they might be scary and they might be big. It's still a part of our planet and we're a part of that. And I was like, okay, it's a good reminder. Yeah. I wondered how you define success and... It's funny, like this word success almost has no resonance for me anymore. Mm. It's like, I don't know, almost like it's a silly thing to think about. Mm. (laughs) You know, I can tell you like before I would have said success was, you know, having a really good job, um, you know, a beautiful partner, a well-decorated home, uh, being able to eat in the nicest restaurants, going on trips to exotic, beautiful places, right? Um, yeah, but all those things seem silly to me now, actually. So it's, um, I don't know, it's like almost like my mind can't even wrap itself around this concept. What is success? Um, I mean, I guess I would say my focus is on cultivating a, a feeling state that I want to be in more of the time, um, which is hard to put words around, actually. It's, um... It's not even a particular feeling state in terms of like happiness or, you know, joy or whatever. It's not even that. It's more of this like uh, spaciousness or awareness of life and being uh, in peace and acceptance with whatever is happening, right? So whether it's, you know, I'm feeling disappointed or, you know, quote unquote failing, uh, it's what I want to cultivate is this loving awareness of that process that I'm going through as a human being, right? But having a bit of distance from it and not being identified with it, knowing that, again, it's just part of nature and it's moving and I'm not necessarily needing to, like, get stuck there. Um, And the same thing when good things are happening, right? Like, oh, like success, quote-unquote. Conventional success is happening. You know, I'm making money, people are coming to my retreats, I'm, you know, getting interviews or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah, life is good and not getting attached to that. Right, so having this more, um, yeah, a, a, an inner state of peacefulness and acceptance around these waves that are happening all the time, both positive and negative, right? Pleasant and unpleasant. Um, the results, it seems like the results are less important, but the, the act or the, you know, the internal focus is yeah. more important. Yeah. I mean, sometimes success can be quitting, huh? It depends on what your own personal journey is, right? Because, like, sometimes we get too attached to this, like, I said I was going to do this thing and I have to complete this thing because I said I was going to do it because what will people think of me if I did said this thing and didn't do it? Mm -hmm. For some people, the growth edge is completion. Mm -hmm. For some people, the growth edge is, is incompletion, right? If you've built your whole identity around success as being somebody who completes things, maybe actually there's more potential for you in sort of breaking that and saying like, actually, I can be lovable and valuable and um, aligned 
by seeing that a commitment that I made is no longer important or no longer relevant or um, no longer the thing that I need to be focused on and having the courage to change and saying, yeah, I committed to do this thing, but now I recognize that I'm different, life is different, the world is different, and I need to pivot. And, and having the courage to, to break commitments can equally be breakthrough success mm. for someone. Huh? I'm curious to know what your experience of your life is now that you seem to be more um, intentional about being on purpose versus how it was when you were maybe just going through the kind of the conventional steps of Western life. Wow, I mean, I feel, I guess happy is a word that <laughs> comes to mind. I feel much more relaxed. I feel much less stress. Um, life is much less dramatic. Um, I feel like things that used to flip me out don't anymore. I'm just like, okay, whatever, you know, but not in this like um, spiritual bypass kind of way, but just kind of like, okay, this is gonna, this is gonna pass. And this curiosity and like, oh, like interest in life, you know, this engagement in life of like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see what happens next. It's sort of this like uh, choose your own adventure book and like, you know, you make choices, you make decisions, but ultimately like you don't know what's going to happen. And there's this sort of excitement and engagement of being really alive in that um, as opposed to just like, okay, there's a program that someone else laid out. These are the steps to get to quote unquote success. And I'm just going to follow the recipe and, you know, hope for the best results. Um, which, I don't know, that kind of life doesn't excite me anymore. You know, like my life now, on the surface, it feels much more calm, but on a deep level is much more exciting. The uncertainty, right? The unpredictability. I know you mentioned it in your book, and, uh, but I wanted to ask you about it again, which is around privilege. Mm. And I thought that was really great that you brought that up because somebody actually asked me after listening to one of my uh, interviews about that. And so I wanted to address it in future interviews after that question. Yeah. Isn't this kind of a privileged conversation? Like, don't you need some level of security or success to even begin to have this kind of perspective on, on life where you're looking more internally um, and less worried about maybe survival or making money, yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. I'm extremely privileged, you know, as are you to be sitting here absolutely. right now. So it's, um, you know, I talk about this in the book, but there's many different levels and layers of looking at the privileged question. Um, and it would be remiss to not acknowledge the privilege that allows me to, to live the life that I'm living. So I think that the danger in that, though, is that people can use it as an excuse to not, um, not engage in this purpose conversation, to not explore how they can be of service, because there's this idea that like, oh, well, this is just a privileged people thing, so I'm not going to pay attention to it because it's not fair or not equal. But I would say that, you know, we all have unique life assignments, and we've been given different circumstances that advantage us in different ways whether it's you know, where you were born, your race, your gender, um, the education that you've been given, all of these things. And I would say that we owe it to humanity, actually, if you have been given all these gifts, to use them, um, to acknowledge them and to own them and not to deny them or distance ourselves from them because of shame or guilt and actually embrace them and say, hey, I was given these things for a reason and I'm going to 
do the best I can with what I've been given, right? And I think it's also um, not quite accurate to say that purpose is only for privileged people. I think that purpose manifests in many different ways, in different forms, and I would say that maybe the more privileged you are, the more potential you have for your purpose to touch many people. Um, in, in other words, like the more you've been given to work with in terms of raw materials in this life journey, the more possibility there is for your purpose to impact many. And if you're less privileged, it doesn't mean that you don't have a purpose or that your life doesn't have meaning. It just means that your purpose might be um, rippling in a smaller pond, right? It might be your purpose is to be a good mother or be a good father or to like be present with your friends or to not scream at your boss when they flip out on you or something, right? It can be very small ways that you serve your purpose. And even calling it small is a bit judgmental, right? Sure. It's not small, actually, because everybody who's interacting with another human being is impacting this collective field. So it's not small, actually, to be in your center when somebody is raging at you and be able to like not pass that on or to give it to your children or the next person that cuts in front of you in line or whatever. That's also being on purpose. Um, and yeah, if you have privileges, for sure you have the capacity and um, almost responsibility to use that to serve even bigger um, creations and even bigger platforms and have a broader reach with that. Yeah, it makes me think of um, another thing you, you wrote about in the book around legacy versus, like, versus making waves. Yeah. And um, another way I think of that around legacy is like leaving a monument versus mm -hmm. you know, just being a positive influence or being on purpose for something higher than what we can even see yeah. or measure right now. Yeah. Um, another thing I think about in this whole privilege conversation is that I haven't made sense of this yet, but it seems like part of the privilege or the struggle with privilege is being able to have these con conversations about like designing your life in a certain way or being able to choose from so many different things that you could do. And it seems like people who might be less privileged maybe have less choice in a way, but that there's also something really admirable to me about that, yeah. that they just, and I, I really don't want to do like an us and them conversation, but this is something that I want to bring into my life of just being able to embrace what I have rather than being like, ah, it's not right. Yeah. I need to create it differently. Yeah, it's a spectrum. You know, it's not a us, them. It's not binary. You know, I think there's no matter where you sit um, in life, there's always going to be somebody who has it better than you. And there's always going to be somebody who has it worse than you. And that changes depending on which dimension you're talking about. Right. Um, whether it's like racial, financial, nationality, you know, physical, mm -hmm. right? Like we all have advantages in different dimensions and right. there are going to be people that are more advantaged or less advantaged in different ways. Um, I would say in terms of this question of choice, like I believe that we all probably have more choice than we recognize or exercise, everyone. And it's true that, you know, some people have more choices than others, but on this human journey, we all have one body and one lifetime and the same number of minutes in an hour and same number of hours in a day. So that's equalizing in some way, right? Like we have only so much 
life energy or life force that we can mm -hmm. put towards something and that um, recognizing that no matter how difficult your circumstances are there is probably a little bit more choice than what you see mm. right and that's not to say that like these uh, inequities and injustices that exist are not real right like it would be bypassing to deny that that's the case there are people that can't you know live their dreams or whatever which is why I don't like to subscribe to any of these kind of like inspirational self-help things that are just like you can do it overcome you know because there's reality right mm -hmm. that we have to deal with which is there's a lot of inequity and a lot of injustice and um, recognizing that we don't all have the same range of choice right but challenging everyone to look at what choices we do have that maybe we're not taking you know? mm -hmm. yeah one of the things I just kind of realized as we we're talking about this is um, that I think a lot of people from my world that I come from a you know, a very privileged world, but also kind of disconnected from culture and place. You know, my parents came from other places for the most part. And one of the things I see, I lived in Ecuador for a while and worked with this uh, indigenous community in the Amazon. One of my biggest inspirations are the people in that community. And that's because um, I see that there's they have this collective that they all work together, not to you know paint a completely rosy picture because they're still people and they still have challenges, right? Yeah, sure. um, but there's a lot that I got out of it that they showed me. And one of the things that I think occurs to me in this conversation is um, that there's this huge amount of culture and uh, lineage and connection with ancestors that drives their lives a lot more than it does mine. Yeah. And I think that is something that I think a lot of us are maybe looking for in different ways, that trying to find a purpose or trying to attach to something um, bigger, to feel, to feel that they already have, it's kind of baked into their culture, but we've been colonized and separated from that so much that yeah. we're trying to find it in a different way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of the most materially wealthy people in this world are the most spiritually destitute, you know, so it's... Uh, it's this kind of superiority complex to think like, oh, I'm privileged, but actually um, right. it's a false duality in the sense that, um, you know, you go and, and do these kinds of things and you feel like you're giving, you know, you're there on this like mission, right, yeah. as a savior, right? Um, but actually you're receiving and this idea of that there's a giver and receiver, it's like we're all giving and receiving all the time from each other. We're all in this kind of web of humanity and this is the interdependence the concept of interdependence so there's no um, higher and lower in that sense mm -hmm. right we all need each other different aspects different dimensions and you know where where you are advantaged other people are you know needing your support or your teaching um, or your transmission and then the flip side is also true right there are things that maybe that you're missing or wanting to learn or needing to embrace more of that others can offer you and it's both ways all the time you know yeah I'm wondering um, more about like your personal experience and in the last five years or so I wonder if you can kind of like chart just briefly outline like your growth in that and like what's changed over time and kind of where you are with that now looking forward about what's what's exciting what's true you know, what's been kind of the deepening 
experience? I mean, I've had so many um, experiences in five years. Um, it's interesting that you picked that time frame because actually, like, as we sit here in January of 2020, it's actually exactly five years since I decided to quit my corporate job and sort of with no plan, right? This was kind of, and I've always um, taken sabbaticals. I've, I've taken long periods of time in between jobs to travel, like sometimes up to a year. And I have never been sort of on the straight and narrow path of, of you know, kind of conventional achievement. I always kind of took big timeouts. But this was five years ago was when I left with really no intention to return to this corporate life. So that was a big uh, shedding of identity, you know, it was a big let go of, wow, I've gotten all this education, I've had all this work experience, I've kind of worked my way up the ladder, so to speak, and gotten to a particular point of, you know, conventional success, let's say. And I'm going to just give all of that up. I'm going to rent out my apartment, give away all my furniture, send all my clothes to Salvation Army. And that happened in stages. I didn't do it all at once. It was like many um, return trips where I slowly, slowly started to let go of a lot of my material possessions. And same thing with the work identity. You know, for a while I was still doing very similar work to what I had been doing in corporate, but I was just doing it independently. I was doing it as a, you know, contractor or as like a freelance consultant or doing executive coaching, but still very much in the same world, uh, but just doing it a little bit outside of that structure. And now I'm at the point where none of that exists in my field anymore, right? So like I, I do still have connections in the corporate world, but I have really not much desire to... Um, well, I would say this, like there is a desire to reconnect with that world, but not to be in it, if that makes sense, right? So it's a little bit of a, you know, we talk about this hero's journey of like you need to leave the thing and then have a different experience and then you come back to the thing and you're changed and you have a different relationship with it. So it's a little bit of that where um, there's no going back, right? Like I can't ever go back and have like a nine to five job and, and stress myself out with these like long hours and constant travel and things like that. I just can't do that to my body and to my nervous system anymore. Um, but there is this desire in me to take what I've learned and integrated in myself for the last five years to bring it back, right, to the world that I came from because I can relate to both now, mm -hmm. right? Um, I've been living on this hippie island. I've been traveling around. I mean, for the most part in the beginning, I was really just um, disconnecting from the old life, right? I was just traveling. I didn't really have a lot of work happening. I was just recovering, actually, from burnout. Like, really, I was burned out, and I was just, I couldn't do much of anything, and I gave myself the space to heal because I was super depleted. Like, on a soul level, I was really starving. And so I just traveled, and then I started doing a lot of different workshops and retreats for my own personal development. I took, you know, meditation retreats, yoga courses, um, tantra trainings, um, breath work, uh, Reiki, body work, uh, plant medicine. You know, I was doing all different kinds of things um, to just feel better, you know, to feel myself and to come back to my core essence. And now I feel pretty stable in that. Of course, I'm still human and I have, you know, feelings and experiences and feel sad sometimes and whatever, but um, 
there is a deeper integration, I think, of this, this being, right, that we talk about the beingness, and being able to bring that into the um, kind of the, the matrix, we can call it, um, I think is maybe part of my path. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. Like, I could see myself being a bridge kind of between these different worlds, um, having experienced both and having a lot of compassion um, for the suffering that goes on, you know, in this, in this structure, you know. And when I was in it, I just didn't imagine that there was any other way of being. Um, and certainly not in that environment, right? It would have been super renegade um, of me, I guess. And now it's like, because it's more solid in me, maybe I can bring it back, you know? I don't know. Um, thanks for sharing. It's, it's cool to hear about people's journeys, especially just looking back, because oftentimes when you're in it, you're like, I don't know, I'm just taking the next step. Hopefully it, it works out. But being able to look back and be like, wow, yeah, I actually covered some serious ground. Um, I'm curious to know in the in a lot of the workshops and things that you did you know what what did you get out of that did you feel like it was ultimately necessary or um, what do you recommend if people are interested in that kind of thing? I mean it was a lot of healing that happened you know it was a lot of um, facing my own patterns of ways that I suffer, uh, looking at a lot of shadows. I mean, we, we use this term a lot around shadows and it means different things to different people, but it was really kind of dealing with um, seeing how I created suffering for myself, basically. And also healing from trauma, right? Um, realizing that I had been the victim of sexual assault, you know, and having never really owned that, right, as part of my story, that's something that I kind of repressed. Um, understanding how toxic the environment was that I was in and how I was really kind of um, disconnected from parts of myself in order to survive in that environment and to quote-unquote be successful, right, to compete, to win in that environment, really disowning parts of my femininity, parts of my creativity, um, kind of shutting down a lot of my authentic self in order to fit in and to be acceptable and to be promoted and recognized and all of this stuff. So it was really recovering pieces of myself that I had kind of pushed away because I felt like they weren't part of the package that was going to make me successful. So it was really kind of being in an uh, open field of everything's acceptable and what is the truth? And being able to do that away from old uh, colleagues, family members, structures, people who knew me back when, who have a concept of how I need to show up in life or who I am to them or the kind of relationship that I have with them or the way that I can help them, right? Disconnecting from all of that in order to find my own center and being able to, to give and to serve from a more honest place. Well, thanks for being vulnerable and sharing that. It's, yeah, it's powerful to hear. You talk about in the book, heart-informed discernment, but how do you use this in your life? What's the experience of uh, being in the heart versus being in the mind? Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's a collaboration, really. Um, you know, a lot of spiritual teachers are about, like, get out of the mind, get out of the mind, get out of the mind. 
I don't necessarily subscribe to that. Hmm. Um, I think because I come from more of a Enneagram-based spiritual tradition, which talks about the three centers being sort of the the belly or the gut center, the heart center, and the head center, but that actually you need all of them to be online and to be aligned um, in order to be a whole human being and be integrated and to move um, from truth in the world. So it's less about this um, dichotomy of the heart and the mind, it's more about the marriage of the heart and mind because I think that we think of mind as sort of monkey mind, right? This like worried, anxious, planning, controlling, directing, sort of strategizing mind. But um, the true mind to me is a spacious mind. It's an empty mind. It's a, it has a quality of clarity to it, um, which is super helpful, right? So this is where the discernment comes from. And discernment is always connected to a heart quality as well, right? Because otherwise it's judgment. Yeah. You know, because when we use the mind to separate things into like yes and no, and the heart isn't connected, there's judgment, right? So the difference is, is that when the heart is involved in the discernment, you can have compassion, right? Like so, um, you know, you're interviewing people for a job, and you can see that they're differently qualified, right? And um, judgment would kind of be disconnected from the heart in terms of this like, okay, putting this person down or, or having them, you know, feel inferior or whatever. And discernment feels more like, okay, for this particular opportunity, for this particular um, project or whatever, this person is better suited and that's a better fit, but there's still compassion for the other person who's developing in their skills, who's developing in their capacity to do the job or whatever it is, right? So this, the heart-informed discernment um, has this quality of compassion to it, which is inclusive, Right. So, but at the same time, having the discernment to choose, right? Yes versus no. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not this like wishy-washy, like oh, go with the flow and everything is fine. Right. Which is, there's no mind in that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the mind connected to the heart that brings discernment. Hmm. Important to remember the. But I like that the way you describe that quality. It's good. It's, I think everything in our culture demonizes something once it becomes bad, right? And then there's no balance. It's like either you're all heart, or you're all mind, or something else. Yeah, they but need to work together. They need to work together. They yeah. need to work together, yeah. Um, I guess how, how would you, like, what would you recommend to somebody else? Um, so I want to help guide people if they're looking for something like this. Um, where to begin if they're feeling um, stagnation and burnout or that there's something more for them um, you know how do they step into um, a more balanced way of being being and doing rather than just going on autopilot I guess I mean this comes back to the the two sort of core principles or core practices that I talk about in the book, which is making space, right? Creating space in your life intentionally, because I think that um, most of us in modern life are busy, 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 right? We're constantly overwhelmed with information, with meetings, with appointments, with opportunities, with ideas, with, with everything, with life. We're just consuming so much um, data, information, and signals all the time. So creating that um, mental space 
emotional space, physical space, right, on all levels making space, you know, so that can be decluttering uh, the apartment that you live in, it can be um, embracing emotional release to clear emotional space in yourself, because a lot of times we're holding emotions that we don't even know, and that's actually taking up space um, for our emotional capacity to really be present. Um, and of course, mental clutter, right, is completely out of control. So. For me, the first step is making space, right? Because um, when we talk about in Tantra, kind of the, the Shiva Shakti principles, like the creation of the space is what allows life force to move, right? So um, that's the first thing, is make space. You know, nothing in life can change when we're caught up on this hamster wheel of running our patterns, being in a routine, doing the same thing every day and having not a second to breathe, to relax, to be present. Um, so making space is the first thing. Um, and the last thing, and the constant thing, you know, like it's a practice of making space in your life all the time because very quickly, entropy, right? Like even when you make space, like you clean your room and then you have to clean it again, right? Because things get chaotic and it gets cluttered again, right? So you constantly have to be making space. And then within that space, um, what creates the direction is this devotional decision-making, right? So this discernment quality that we were just talking about, it's bringing that awareness of the heart into your mind decisions, right? So devotional decision-making meaning I'm deciding and committing and selecting things in my life based on principles, based on values. I'm not just blindly choosing things. Um, or just being aware of what am I choosing based on? Am I choosing because I think this thing is going to get me more recognition or money or success? Or am I really choosing with my heart involved? Um, not that I'm only listening to the heart, but is my heart involved in the choosing? And that's where the devotional decision-making comes in, right? So I think that those two things, if you do nothing else different, will allow purpose to come into your life. Make space and make decisions with devotion. That's it. Cool. And it organically evolves from there. That's mm -hmm. the magic, right? It's like purpose, like I say in the book, like purpose wants to move through you. You just have to give it some space and listen, right? Really relax and be actively listening and able to receive uh, what life wants from you. Well, I like the um, what you just said because it's more of a process and less of a specific action you know so it's like okay you do that once and then life changes and then how do you make space and come back to devotion again and maybe it takes a different form next time exactly. and that you keep doing that and that that is kind of cracking this bubble exactly that's how it becomes a practice right and then the purpose isn't about the form right it's it can be a form but it can also be formless and I think that the moment in time that we're in right now calls for us to be less attached to the form of purpose and more embracing the formless purpose. Just because the way that, I mean, the speed at which things are happening now in, in the world, um, things move quickly, right? So like in a way, like the forms are being created and destroyed much more quickly. So we can't be so attached to the form. Like maybe a hundred years ago, your purpose would have looked more like what I would call a legacy, right? You would start a business and it would last for a hundred years and you would pass it down to your children, your grandchildren, and it would like mm -hmm. exist for, you know, decades and generations beyond you. But now I think that the moment in time that we're in, things are moving way too quickly for that. 
you know, and it's multidimensional as well, right? Like mm -hmm. I talk about this in the book that your purpose can have many forms at the same time and some of them are going to have longer lifespans than others. And sometimes it may not have a form at all. It could just be an interaction, it could be a conversation, it could be a look or a smile that you give to a stranger. Mm -hmm. Or it could be, you know, a healing session that lasts for an hour. Or it could be, you know, a book that takes a year to write. Or it could be a school that takes five years to build. But there's going to be different lifespans in terms of the form of the purpose. But to allow that to show itself without us trying to control that, oh, this thing needs to be 20 years or 50 years or whatever. Maybe it's five minutes. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Mm, that's cool. I, th I think that's really um, super important on focusing less on the form and more of the feeling um, in moving forward. Um, and the form has its own life, right? It, will, it yeah. will know how long it needs to live, right? And your job as the creator is to be listening. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because... Um, like what you're talking about earlier about okay I wrote my book but it has a life of its own now and now I'm kind of you know attached to that and beholden to its and its own energy it's like raising a child it's like at some point they're their own person and you just have to you know give it tools or help them um, I mean my family started a business and it kind of was the same thing there was a lot of a lot of hard work for sure but at some point it had a life of its own and an energy of its own and it was kind of sad to have to let go of it but also recognize like oh it's it's its own thing like this is its journey now you know it's not my journey anymore exactly that's exactly what it's like it's like having a child I think that um, I mean I've I've never had children I probably won't have children but I, I feel like it is probably like that in the sense that like you have this relationship with this thing that you made mm -hmm. and you want the best for it and you want to support it, but it's also its own entity and you need to respect that it's its own entity and um, listen to what it needs, right? Because it will tell you, right, what it needs, um, but not to push it, right? Because there's also this, like, the helicopter parent, which is like, no, you need to be a doctor. You're going to go to <laughs> med school. This is what I want for you. And it's like, mm, maybe that's actually not what your child wants. <laughs> like, okay, I'm New York Times bestseller list, here we go, right? And the book might be like, mm, sorry, that's not the life I want. It's not the life that's actually meant for me. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just actually listening to what's really there. How do you deal with fear and what's your relationship with that? <laughs> yeah, fear is part of life. <laughs> I think that um, just acknowledging that that's part of it. You know, and uh, for sure, if you're living a fully like switched on, like engaged life, there's going to be fear, because uh, life is scary, life is dangerous. I mean, life will get you killed. You know, it's inevitable. It will actually. Mm -hmm. So there's that, of course, this mortal like you know self-preservation thing of like, <gasps> you know, but uh, ultimately we're not in control of that either. So it's kind of like just. Embracing it, allowing it, um, seeing that it's there, having compassion for myself when I'm gripped by fear, um, already relaxes that. It's like, okay, this is totally normal, actually, to feel fear. It means I'm alive. Oh, great. Amazing. I feel really scared. That means I'm alive. That means I'm connected. That means I'm really here. You know, because you know who doesn't feel fear? People that are numb. People that are in this automatic mode, the program. When you're in the program, you don't feel fear because you're not connected to life, really. 
you know, you, you're in your box and you're like in the safety of what's predictable and known and safe and comfortable. And you can kind of protect yourself from fear, but actually fear is still there. You're just denying it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's just part of life. I think sometimes it's a healthy indicator of something that matters to you, that if you're feeling afraid for whatever reason, that it's like, Absolutely. oh yeah, your life matters to you, or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah, for sure. I remember one time when I was in um, a conference room with a senior partner of mine when I was in the consulting world and was crying about something. I can't even remember what it was. It's so funny because the story, the specific story doesn't even matter, but it, it, the, this moment touched me so deeply because he said pretty much exactly what you just said, which is that, wow, like this emotion that's here just shows that you care, right? It shows that you're human, right? It shows that you're actually like present in what you're doing, right? That you're not a robot. So that's a beautiful thing to acknowledge that this is a, an aspect of being human, right? It's mm -hmm. like allowing your humanity to be there and loving that and appreciating that and seeing that that's a beautiful gift to the world, actually. Mm -hmm. When you are in that, then uh, it's also this creative space, huh? You know, like it's a, you know, I talk about uh, personally activating information, right? All of these things that are triggering us to be, you know, angry about some situation in life or fearful about something that we might do or fail at. It's an indicator that there's an activation there, mm -hmm. which is good. Mm -hmm. It's good. Yeah, it's a healthy kind of fear. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the fear of um, failure, mostly, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Of um, if I step out of what I know, what's going to happen? I don't know, right? And that is scary. Uh, but it's actually generally fine, I found. <laughs> you know, it's not the same kind of fear of like, you know, you're running across the savanna and a saber-toothed tiger is chasing you. That's quite a different fear. Sure. But most, most of the fear I think that we have is ego fear of like, what are people gonna think of me? What's gonna happen if I fail? Or what if this doesn't make money for me? Or um, how embarrassing if I, you know, blah, 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 fill in the blank, right? It's all kind of, self-image, self-preservation kind of thing. And this is where um, purpose helps us to move beyond fear because when you're connected to something that's beyond your preservation of self, your own image, your own reputation, your own feeling of success or failure, when you move beyond that and you're like, actually, that is not so important. There's something bigger than, quote unquote, me, my concept of self that matters. Mm -hmm. That is actually what helps you move through the fear. Right? You have a reason. When you have this feeling of purpose, there's a reason to move through the fear. Mm -hmm. you know? It's your companion and your guide and also your... You right. Know. Come back to that. Why am I doing this again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's scary, but got to keep going. Exactly. It's, it's not about me, mm -hmm. ultimately. right? Like, it's not about me and my small self. There's something else at work here that's a movement that I'm part of, and I'm just participating in that. And it's also allows you to drop a bit of responsibility as well, right? When you imagine yourself as part of this larger movement, it puts uh, a little bit of like less weight on your shoulders, right? To be like, I'm part of a movement. This is happening with or without me. I'm choosing to participate, and that takes courage. Um, and I can opt out, and it's still going to happen anyway, right? <laughs> so it's like something in the collective movement, but why would I opt out when I can feel much more alive and kind of, in a way, enjoy my life and experience my life by participating, mm. right? So, yeah, you can cut yourself off and try to protect yourself from the fear, 
or you can participate. And I found that that's a much more um, engaging and enlivening way to live. One of the things that I've been observing in myself the last year or so is just that I've witnessed myself, like the different thoughts and patterns that I go through and stories that I get caught up in. I, there's a level of acceptance that it's always going to be there. Like these are my challenges or these are the stories that I have to, you know, disentangle myself from. Um, and it helps to be less invested in them. Yeah. To be like, oh yeah, they're not going away. They're just going to be there. So, but just to, as a constant reminder, be like, oh yeah, this is something that scares me or this is something that gives me anxiety. But then to recognize that it's not really who I am ultimately. It's just yeah. part of my body or part of my, you know, experience here. It's just like it comes with that. It's yeah. like the apps that <laughs> aren't yeah. that fun that I, but actually they help you, you know, to stay, find a way back to purpose or find a way back to your center. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, part of the pre-installed programs of being in this human body, right, is mm -hmm. this fear. Um, and it's useful sometimes, you know, it helps kind of keep us together in our structure of, of our individuality, right? So that's actually not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Is there anything else that you would want to add that is important to you right now? I just want to encourage people to um, just engage in the question, you know, around purpose. I feel like um, there's a lot of information out there about purpose, and I think that some of it is helpful, and some of it can be really, like, paralyzing, right? If we get into this mode of, like, seeking, right? I need to find my purpose. I need to figure it out. Uh, so I guess my overall message would be to... Um, Please engage in it because we need you. We need everyone to be in participation, right, in this moment in time. It's super important for humanity to, to switch on to this frequency of collective movement and participation and relax. There's nothing you need to do about it because it's happening anyway. Um, I know that seems a little bit contradictory, but that's... Um, I guess my takeaway message is like, please, like, please be courageous in engaging in the conversation and also don't stress about it. Just relax and allow um, and trust that it's happening anyway. Cool. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for, for taking the time to do this. I, I really enjoyed talking with you. I feel like you have a lot of depth of wisdom and I'm glad that you're sharing it with people thank so thank you thank you for this opportunity may it be only the first of many <laughs> <laughs> I learned so much from this conversation one of the themes that I really connected with was this idea of intention and surrender we create a vision for what we want begin to act on it while surrendering to the process that it takes to get there and whatever opportunities come up or direction it takes along the way she spoke also about actively engaging in relationship with the universe, which is related to this idea of intention and surrender. With your intention and action, you are open to feedback from the world about how you are being and doing. This isn't as woo-woo as it sounds, it's actually quite practical. It's merely an approach that intends to connect us more with our heart intelligence. The feedback may not always be clear or obvious, 
but we have the opportunity to reflect and understand. Wendy really asks us to pay attention to ourselves, to slow down enough to really feel what we are feeling, even if that's scary or painful, because ultimately it is in service to ourselves, to our community, and to the future. Connecting to your purpose or living on purpose isn't only for the privileged, it's for everyone to use our time wisely and intentionally and to be the best version of ourselves at any given moment. Why? Because the experience of life is richer, deeper, and more meaningful, which is what many of us are seeking. Living in a way that is more balanced is essential for maintaining a harmonious relationship with the earth. If we are not balanced within ourselves, how can we be in balance with the larger world? I do want to acknowledge that our discussion about privilege did start out a bit clunky, but I think evolves in a productive way. What Wendy has to say about it really resonates with me. It doesn't always matter what our level of privilege, we all have the opportunity to live with intention, grace, and balance. Who knows what form that will take in our lives. However, in this day and age, it's not enough to use our privilege just to do good or remain silent. It's essential that we reflect on how privilege for some namely more white and affluent people, creates severe inequality and actually hurts other people and keeps them from accessing the same opportunities as you. That even means having peace of mind and not having to constantly be doing emotional work in relation to injustice affecting your community. I encourage you to learn more about this, begin to reflect on it, and get involved because that is how we can shift society to one that is truly equal and just. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you found this enriching and insightful. Take care and see you next time.